Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, today we are talking again to Jackie of the Jackie Daily Show. She is our resident energy expert. So she is going to tell us why gas prices seem to be trickling down slowly but surely, why they were up in the first place. But we're also going to talk about Joe Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia, where he begged them to produce more oil, even why while he is trying to declare some kind of climate emergency here. And part of that plan is that he is going to stop the production of oil, or at least somewhat. And so we're going to talk about this whole disaster, but we're also going to look at it really big picture towards the end of the conversation. Why is this happening? What's the purpose behind it? Even what are the theological implications of all of this? You're going to absolutely love this conversation. No one breaks down the oil and gas industry and energy policies quite like Jackie. Love her so much. If you haven't listened to our last conversation from a few months ago, go back and listen to that. This is a great continuation of that conversation. You're going to learn so much. But before we get into that conversation, I have got to talk about our girl AOC and her brave civil rights activism. And just, I mean, she was brutally brutally arrested yesterday for putting her body on the line for bodily autonomy and so i've just i've just gotta i've got to play you this incredibly heroic clip i mean Look at the strength of that woman. Number one, how just awesome and tough do you have to be to wear a wool pea coat in 95 degree weather in Washington, D.C.? That's amazing. And just look how strong she is that she had her hands behind her back handcuffed. You know those invisible handcuffs that police use? You know, the really scary type? She was so strong that she wrenched her wrist out of those invisible handcuffs and she put it in the air like the communist activist she is. And it was just, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch this on YouTube if you're listening to this. She puts her hands behind her back. Okay, she's being led away because she's blocking traffic. She's protesting for the right to dismember babies inside the womb. The police officer is like barely grabbing her arm, leading her away. And she and Ilhan Omar decided to put their hands behind their backs. And then you can see in this picture that's up on YouTube, um, they did this because they knew that the media was just going to take a picture like this from the front so that their hands are behind their back. So it looks like they're being arrested, but they're not. They're not being arrested at all. They're just being led away. And they don't have any handcuffs on at all. You know, like that story that I tell you guys about how when I got sealants when I was little and the dental hygienist told me that there are visible Backstreet Boys ticker stickers on my molars. And I was really excited about that. And it took me like 10 years to realize that she wasn't telling me the truth, that I actually didn't have invisible Nick Carter's on my molars, on my sealants. 
this is kind of like that. Maybe AOC and Ilhan Omar were told that really they have invisible handcuffs on. I'm not I'm not really sure what went down here, but they actually had the audacity to like stick up their fist in communist protest, even while they were pretending to have their hand handcuffs all for the sake of abortion. You guys, I mean, these people are not well. They're not well. They're not well. They are. We live truly, truly in an idiocracy, unfortunately, and and that actually ties into this conversation. Some of the worst people, the most manipulative people and truly the lowest IQ people. Can I say that? I think that's a pretty that's a pretty nice description of people who are going out there and protesting for the sake of killing children. These are the same people who want to run your life through destructive climate policy. So without further ado, we're going to talk to Jackie about what seems like a controlled demolition through climate change policy in just a second. But actually, I said without further ado, there's there's a little ado here. I have to pause and I have to tell you about our first sponsor for the day. And that is Live Action, which is a perfect sponsor in light of what we just talked about with this abortion activism. Live Action is like the opposite of that. Lila Rose, who started Live Action, is like the anti- AOC, which is an amazing compliment. I love her so much. They've got an amazing campaign out right now. What is abortion? What is abortion.com is asking the question, do you know what an abortion is? They're doing man on the street interviews asking, hey, do you know what happens in an abortion procedure? As it turns out, most people have no idea what happens in an abortion procedure. Relatable listeners do because we talk about it a lot. It's really important, whether you consider yourself pro-choice or pro-life, to know what the procedure actually is and how the child in the womb is being killed. Live action has done more work than probably any organization in educating people on what the procedure entails. They're asking simple questions, they're sticking to the truth, and that is how they know that we change minds. That's how we know that we're on the right side. We tell the truth, and the pro-abortion side uses euphemisms. They lie, they don't want you to know what an abortion is. Live action is making sure that we are all really informed. So go to whatisabortion.com today, share the videos. Hopefully we can change more hearts with the truth. Whatisabortion.com, that's whatisabortion.com. Jackie, thanks so much for joining us again. All right, people might be noticing that the gas prices are going down just a little bit. In this area, it was like, I saw like 388, which is the yeah. lowest I've seen in a long time. Why is that going on? Is this a good news? Is it all over? I won't say it's all over, but right now we're looking like we're moving into a recession, which means everything's going to slow down. Therefore, there's less demand. So part of what you're saying is actually people feeling not so optimistic about the future. So the demand just won't be there. Also, just because the prices are so high, people use less, which is part of the agenda. That's what our leadership is after. They love this, right? Right. Less uh, carbon emissions, in their eyes, less climate change. To them, it's a good thing. But what it means is we demand less. So supply and demand make the price. So when demand goes down and supply stays about the same, the price goes down. Right. But the the problem for us is more about inflation. So the price of energy, whether it's oil, natural gas, coal, whatever, uh, feeds into the price of everything. So that means whatever you buy, like every dime that flies out of your bank account or through your credit card is paying for something that is either made from oil, like our clothes and our hair dye and our lipstick and our electronics, um, 
or it has been transported to you uh, from wherever it came from or was manufactured to you with transportation fuel, which again, we're back to petroleum products, or it's manufactured with electricity, which means natural gas Mm -hmm. and coal and Mm -hmm. nuclear. Mm -hmm. So the point is, whatever energy costs, it's going to be put into the price of everything. Everything you pay for. If oil goes up, everything goes up. Mm -hmm. If natural gas goes up, everything goes up. Okay. And so people have to understand inflation is an energy issue. Right. So when when a voter says, what's most important to me is the economy or inflation, what they're really saying is what's important to me is lowering the price of energy for starters and and other things too, like how about stopping wars and not starting them and uh, a government that doesn't just print money. Right. That, that would help, too. There, there are other reasons, too. Right. But yeah. Yeah. And the Biden administration is admitting what you said earlier, that this helps the what they would call the anti-climate change agenda. I believe it was Pete Buttigieg, Secretary of Transportation, testifying before Congress earlier this week saying, well, you know, everything that's bad for fuel is better for electric cars and people should just get more electric vehicles. I remember you explained last time why that's not just an easy solution. And multiple members of Congress have said that it is an easy solution. But tell us why that is such a silly suggestion. So it, it's them and it's also Europe. And it's it's so upsetting that they don't understand the fundamentals that, first of all, um, where to start? Fundamentally, the, the key with electric vehicles or with renewables is storage. It's all about batteries. And so we don't have right now the technology to run the entire U.S. transportation sector or electric sector, which is completely different. Right now, we use oil basically to run our transportation sector, whether it's gasoline or diesel, and we use natural gas and coal to run the electricity sector. These these are the traditional ways of doing it. No battery storage needed. To even dream of flipping just the U.S. transportation sector to to electric vehicles, you need more batteries than planet Earth can create Mm. with lithium and cobalt and nickel and all the things that are required to make that battery. We don't have enough on planet Earth. We just don't. So this plan is a non-starter. And then you would make the entire economy even more reliant on electricity. Right now we're diversified. You know, if if, if, um, the price of electricity is high, at least you have oil Mm -hmm. in the transportation sector that could be lower. But here you're making everything, their plan, reliant on electric vehicles that rely on wind and solar. That's their vision. And we simply cannot, we would be putting all of our eggs into the basket of is the wind blowing or the sun shining? Right. That's an outrage. I mean, that's completely a non-starter. It is not going to happen. Yeah. Like I can just tell you, this is a big PR campaign to redistribute a lot of wealth, like trillions. Mm-hmm. I mean, they pour almost more money into PR yeah. and education campaigns Yeah. and persuading you to do this than actually implementing the plan because they can't implement the plan right. because we don't have what we need to implement the plan. The plan doesn't work. So what is the purpose then of all of the PR? They have to know a lot of the things that you just said. Um, so I'm not convinced all of them do, actually. Okay. I, think, I think that some of them actually believe their own propaganda. I mean, look, not everybody in the government is an energy expert. Yeah. Certainly very few are. I mean, Pete Buttigieg doesn't have any experience in that realm. No. Well, no. It was, what was the mayor of like Fort Bend, Indiana or something? Yeah, uh, some something little town like in Indiana. Um, yeah, no, I think it's this. When you announce we're going to redistribute trillions worldwide for a transition, what happens immediately is people get in line for that. 
And once they get in line for that, they're 100% committed. It doesn't matter if it works or not. Yeah. All they need to do is show up and get their part done. So in Washington, I worked in Washington for seven years, um, starting from like 2006 to 13. Around 2012 or 13, suddenly everyone I knew who was no longer in the government was in a defense contracting firm doing solar. Hmm. I mean, overnight, everybody's doing solar and making money or wanting to make money, trying right. to get in line. And like, how did this happen? I wasn't paying attention at the time to solar energy. Yeah. Well, the answer is the government announced massive taxpayer-backed funds to back these deals. And so, you know, to provide solar to the military or to a municipality or whatever. Um, and so, look, once they're in line and they're making money, they don't want to hear anything else about what doesn't work. The government's already pronounced that this is what we're doing and I'm making money. And so it doesn't really matter. No. I mean, and, and if you get enough people, this is how some people govern, I'm sorry yeah. to say, in our leadership on both parties. They think as long as we can slice up the federal trough in such a way that everybody benefits who really matters. Yeah. And who, who really matters. Up, that's really the matters. key. And that's not you and me. That's we not, don't no, really matter. We don't really matter because yeah. we don't have a big pack and we're not making out the big checks. Whoever's making out the checks gets taken care of first. I'm sorry to say. I mean, I, I worked there. I remember very well the way it always seemed to work out. And so that's what they call governing. That's what they consider the transactional side of the business. Yeah. There shouldn't even be such a concept as the transactional side right. of Capitol Hill. Right. And they also mean the Nancy Pelosi, Paul Pelosi um, deals. Like uh, Paul Pelosi will know a few days before the rest of America what's going to happen in terms of a bill right. and who benefits and what companies obviously are going to be boosted at the bottom line. And voila, somehow he manages to invest mm -hmm. in those companies. And obviously he is nowhere near the only one. Mm -hmm. And it's not, a, it's not a Democrat thing. I mean, I think this is across the board. Yeah. And this is the problem. And it all, it all went wrong with the income tax, right? Yeah. But do you realize this country didn't even have a federal income tax mm. until the World War I era? Mm. Before that, they didn't have a trough to parse out. Right. And once that happened, um, wow, it's just there's there's like yeah. no limit to it. And it's what the founders talked about, where, you know, our form of government works until people realize they can vote themselves favors from the federal trough. Yeah. And then it just there's no discipline. Yeah. There's, there are many exceptions to the rule in human history that once that trajectory takes off, it doesn't stop until it collapses. Finally. Yeah. yeah. And America's green agenda benefits the worst countries in the world. It benefits Russia. Yeah. It benefits Saudi Arabia yes. and the Middle East. And it also benefits China. China is making right. a lot of these um, a lot of these solar panels and also the blades of the wind turbines and also a lot of the batteries. So some of the propaganda that you're talking about, the green energy PR that is going on here in the United States, how much do you think um, of that is being pushed by our enemies like China? I would be shocked and awed if they weren't pushing it hard. If I were them, I would, because yeah. it's it's not just a matter of making money. It's about making this country reliant right. on them because they control the supply chain. They would be crazy not to. And to this is perfectly legal, what you're suggesting. They can push any PR campaign and you know who knows how many hands they can pass money through to hide where it's coming from. We know the anti-fracking movement 
is in big time, big form, funded from offshore funds. Mm-hmm. And Joe Biden is representative of that. He said that in a debate with Donald Trump during the campaign that he is going to end fracking. Yeah. And Donald Trump was like, oh, that's a huge admission. Thank you so much yeah. for saying that. Obviously, that didn't stop people from voting for Joe Biden. So Joe Biden is open about that, that he is a part of that push. Sure. I mean, and how convenient. You know, his family's doing international deals with countries that have massive energy interests or or deposits or reserves. And wow, they are benefiting, Hunter Biden in particular, um, in his big deals, foreign oil and foreign natural gas companies um, like Burisma. Yeah. While at the same time, his dad is warring against their number one competitors, American oil and gas producers. How convenient is that? How convenient. Yes. And so tell us a little bit more about, I want to talk about Russia and then I want to talk about Saudi Arabia. We keep hearing that this is Putin's fault, that the high gas prices, it's the Putin price hike, even inflation we hear is the Putin price hike. Is that true? So, okay. War is definitely inflationary. Yeah. So that's for sure. If you start destroying things like say a wheat crop, and the two biggest wheat producers in that region, Russia and Ukraine, go to war. Yes, That's the price of the food price. goes up. There's right. no question. So there is some truth to the fact that, yes, a war um, will definitely cause inflation. But the, uh, the history book need only look back a year to see we had a massive inflation problem that kicked off about February 2021. Yeah. Um, long before Putin began lining up at the border of Ukraine. Long before. So what is that? What will Joe Biden label that? You know, Mm -hmm. and this is because he signaled immediately what he was going to do to regulate our energy producers out of business if possible. He said on the campaign trail, I will end fossil fuels. And across all the agencies will be a directive to do everything they can to advance the climate agenda. Okay, that's problem number one. Um, Problem number two, his $1.9 trillion COVID bill, 9% of which was only uh, devoted to COVID. The rest of it was like every other appropriations bill, a massive grab bag and Christmas wish list for the Democrats and all of their interests. Mm -hmm. This is what they do. It's packed into every one of those bills and it's an all or nothing deal. It's thumbs up or thumbs down. And if you vote thumbs down, they'll say that you're against COVID relief, right? right? So you print money like this and what does it do? It reduces the value of the dollar uh, debases the currency and it it's, throws all this money into the, the economy. And this is like economics 101. I was an economics major as well as a history major. Um, too many dollars chasing too few goods means prices go up. This is not up for debate. Yeah. People are trying to pretend suddenly like it's up for debate. Yeah. No, it isn't. This has been settled for a long time. You won't find examples in history that go in the opposite direction, except inside the Biden White House where they just they have their own build back better calculator that says the opposite of what history and the truth have been for so long. So that's where the inflation came from. And until he takes the boot off the neck of U.S. energy producers and stops printing money and actually tightens the belt, we're going to continue to have inflation. Quick pause from that fascinating conversation to tell you about our next sponsor, and that is Hunter Douglas. You guys know right now it's really hot outside, and if you are looking to lower your utility costs, then you need to make sure that you have really good insulating shades on your windows, and that is why Hunter Douglas exists. It's not just that they diffuse light to cast a beautiful glow across your living room or your breakfast nook. It's also 
that they work really well to keep the cold in in the summer and the heat in in the winter. And so that can help you save a lot of money. It can also help you live more comfortably. Also, they've got amazing power view technology. Your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. And plus, they just look really good. They look really sleek. It can make your it can make a huge difference in how your home looks. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash Allie today for your free Style Gets Smarter Design Guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's HunterDouglas.com slash Allie for your free design guide. HunterDouglas.com slash Allie. Tell us what happened in Saudi Arabia when he fist bumped the <sighs> leader of Saudi Arabia. What was he doing over there? How does that have to do with the production of oil and gas? Well, so as you know, the first thing he did was call the Saudi Arabian leader a pariah. You're right. Okay. People talked about how undiplomatic Donald Trump was. Right. Uh, like, like he didn't name call one of the top three oil producers on earth. Yeah. Even though Saudi Arabia is not my favorite country. Yeah. For obvious <laughs> reasons. They're not my favorite country. I would never have done that. No, no American president should ever do that. You have to maintain rapport with people who control the energy supply, um, especially if you're going to destroy your own. But no, so he goes over there to beg. And this isn't the first time an American president has begged uh, the Saudis to, to increase production to help us out with gas prices and for other purposes. Um, I'm embarrassed to tell you that George W. Bush did the same thing. And that was right before the financial crisis of 2008, uh, the meltdown. So that was the highest oil prices in history at that time, $147 a barrel. So, you know, he goes to his old buddies, the Saudis. The Bush family was always very tight. If you go to the Bush Library right now, the first photo is him and the Saudi king walking hand in hand through the fields of Texas and Crawford, okay? Goes over there and begs on his knees, which is shameful. Help us. And they said, no. So that was humiliating. And that was 2008. Thank God the U.S. fracking revolution came on after that, mm. which made us a bigger producer than Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. So we should never have to have gone back to begging anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're holding the assets, why on earth would you beg another, especially a country that is hostile to your interests and your values at times? Yeah. Let's not forget most of the 9-11 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia. So the yeah. culture there is not pro-American, you know? Right. And so... Um, yeah, so he goes over there begging after calling the guy a name. So now he's eating crow, and it's just so humiliating. Yeah. And um, first of all, as the French um, leader told him not not long ago at the G7, you know, whispering on a hot mic, hey, the Saudis don't really have a lot of excess capacity to up mm. their production. Yeah. I just want you to know I know that. Right. So then the, the leaders, um, st- chiefs of st- or, or staffers whisk them away from the cameras like, hey, 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 let's move, let's move, let's move. Because you don't want people to know you don't have any options. Mm-hmm. There aren't, there isn't much supposedly spare capacity out there. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, there's not, there aren't many places to go, right? As of right this second, there's no sign of big production coming on anywhere mm-hmm. to bail us out of this. Yeah, it's it's not coming from anywhere. In fact, there are all kinds of problems, like pipeline shut down, 
or Libya now is at less than half of its production because of protests that are happening all around the world because of inflation and, and the climate agenda that no one's reporting on. But things like this, like there's so many moving parts like that that can make us have no options. This is exactly why we need maximization of our own resources right here at home. I mean, yeah. you and I are sitting on top of natural gas right now. It's right here. Why on earth are we committing suicide by these, you know, get off natural gas and clean burning natural gas and get off Texas oil for all this dirty oil from Saudi Arabia and elsewhere where they don't even right. have environmental standards like we have? Are we right. are we serious about the environment or not? Yeah. And so why? he's going to Saudi Arabia, begging yeah. them for oil. And then he is also saying that he might declare a climate emergency here in the U.S. and that that will include um, a pause or a stop on any new drilling for oil. He's already kind of put a stop to that, though, over his presidency, right? So, I mean, what is he talking about and why? Seriously, that just makes me just, just hold my breath in fury. Like, yes. I just, it's exactly the wrong thing to do. I seriously do not know how much he has his faculties, but clearly his advisors are, are the ones putting this together in any way. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I think... He's going to make things much, much worse. And what's interesting is he's doing this right in front of an election. So I'm actually surprised. I don't know if he's trying to placate his base after he's gone everywhere to beg everyone to produce oil. Mm -hmm. He's browbeaten American producers for not producing more. He's browbeaten American refiners for not refining more. He's browbeaten the rest of the world for not producing more. So his base is probably saying, wait a second, you're out there begging for them to produce oil when we've asked you to be as green as possible. Maybe they view it as a betrayal. Maybe he's just trying to make them happy. Um, it's hard to say what's going on in his mind, but this will only make things much worse than they were before. Yeah, so there seems to be some contradictory messaging. It seems like he's trying to play to his climate change, anti-climate change supporters as well as try to lower the price of oil. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. So the Biden administration is planning to block new offshore oil drilling in the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. He's planning to allow limited expansion in the Gulf of Mexico and Alaska's south coast. And so he will allow as many as 11 oil lease sales for offshore drilling over the course of five years. There is a senior oceans campaigner at the Center for Biological Diversity. Brady Bradshaw says that he is letting us down on climate leadership. So he's not even happy with what Biden is doing in expanding oil production at all. So he's saying that he's going to declare a you know, national climate emergency. We're going to shut down all new drilling. But it seems like behind the scenes, well, we do kind of just have to open it up a little bit. So I think that's part of what going overseas is about is uh, to some degree, they feel like that if they do it overseas and outsource the so-called pollution and carbon emissions, that's more acceptable to their base. Yes. Um, and, and the UK is the same way and Germany is the same way. They will brag about how green they are at home while paying foreign producers to produce filthy, dirty oil with no environmental standards, but that's their emissions, not ours. Right. right? And so there's a whole lot of outsourcing and playing and pretending. Yeah, it's so much pretending. As Germany shut down its coal plants, guess what they did? They started importing American coal. Thank you very much, Germany. You know? Yeah. But how silly. Yeah. And this is so silly. So you're paying, you're actually greatly increasing the carbon footprint as you're paying to transport that coal from where it came from across an ocean. Does anyone have any idea of the carbon footprint of moving oil or coal across an ocean? 
like, and, which is a great example of how the Saudis are not as competitive as they claim. All of our lives, we've had to listen to how Saudi can lift oil out of the ground for $2 a barrel. That's their lifting cost. Whereas in the States, you got a frack, it was like 50 or 60 bucks a barrel or even more in some places. So, wow, how can we possibly compete? And this is why we buy from Saudi because it's so cheap. Well, they have to actually move it across an ocean, which costs a lot of money. They have to protect it as it moves so that pirates don't take it um, in the Gulf of Aden or whatever, wherever they're taking it through. So whoever's shipping oil has to ship it and protect it. And then you have to move it again once it hits land. Um, so the lifting cost is not the full story. And lifting costs here have come way down. Like technology gets better and better all the time, way down. So U.S. oil is plenty competitive. There, there's no problem there. Any talk about that is nonsense. We are fine. We can make a ton of money as it stands at the current prices. Um, so it's profitable. If they're not producing, it's because they're afraid they'll lose their investment because you don't want to be the next Keystone XL pipeline. Right. You put in six years of time, you know, hundreds of meetings with state, local, federal, tribal governments, six years of study, $6 billion, and then have the federal government just pull the rug out from under you and you yeah. lose it all. Yeah. Who wants to be that? Right. So that is why there are some people who said, oh, Biden and his policies have nothing to do with the rising gas prices when they were going up, up, up. Has nothing to do with that. But you've talked about how even just like the intimidation, even just the rhetoric can have an effect on the gas prices because of that, because they're basically intimidating drilling or intimidating against drilling, right? Uh, yes. The Whether it's the pipelines or just the finance, like the ESG movement, trying to defund so that you can't get capital in the oil patch. You can't drill without capital. It's that simple. You kill it. You just choke it off. Or like bragging about leases, which are way up here at the upstream. You also need permits. And then you need the midstream, which is pipelines to get it to the market. And then you need refineries in the downstream and the retail, where you, the gas station. So for him to say, there's some leases up here, but then give you no pipelines to right. move it. Well, what good is that? Right. It's no good at all. It's a waste of, it, it, he hopes that no one understands yeah. the complexities of what he's talking about. Yeah. And so, but, and, and plus 9,000 leases doesn't mean production. So I guess his base is fine with that. But as you just said, this, this guy's complaining at the center, whatever. People are paid to complain no matter what. Yeah. There are people who would complain no matter what he did. So he needs to worry about the election. The only thing that's going to bring down the prices is if the demand goes down. Because the supply can't really Which is move what much. is happening now. And he's taking credit for that when really he shouldn't. Yeah. Or or if China closes down, like shuts down Shanghai or part of its country, or if there's a, a shutdown or a lockdown like in 2020 with COVID, that depresses demand. It's a completely artificial depression of demand. And that's what happened. So a ton of U.S. oil and gas producers went out of business because there was nowhere to sell their product. Yeah. And that's why we have such high prices now. You have so much fewer producers in America because you bankrupted them in 2020 during yeah. the lockdown. Okay, next sponsor, one of my favorite organizations in existence, and that is Moms for Liberty. If you are worried like millions of parents are about what kids are learning in school, specifically in public school, then you need to either start a Moms for Liberty chapter in your area or you need to join an existing Moms for Liberty 
chapter in your area. They are dedicating to fighting for the survival of America by unifying, educating, and empowering parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. They hold leaders accountable or they work to replace bad leaders with liberty-minded individuals, individuals that care about parental rights and education. They're spreading an awareness and understanding of the limited role of government. They stand together against government overreach and intimidation tactics. Guys, Moms for Liberty is how you raise a respectful ruckus in your community. Moms for Liberty is how you share arrows with other parents who are going on the front line for the sake of their kids. I was with them in Tampa uh, just this weekend and I got to be the keynote speaker and I got to meet a ton of them. They are incredible moms. They are happy warriors. These are the kinds of people that you want in your corner. These are the kinds of people that are going to stand up with you, link arms with you, that are going to organize and do something about all the problems that we have the misfortune of having to talk about on a daily basis. So if you want to put some action behind your concerns, join Moms for Liberty. Go to momsforliberty.org slash Allie. That's moms for liberty.org slash alley. You tweeted recently that Europe, green Europe, is going to come to the United States and be begging for more oil production. When do you think that's going to happen? And do you think that'll be consequential if they beg? Oh, I think they've, I think they've been begging for, oh, quietly mm. for a while now. Mm. I think they have no choice but to beg. Where, where can they turn? We're one of the few countries that has more capacity. Right. We just don't have a regulatory regime that permits us to really be confident in moving forward. Mm. So, but the world's going to need more. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to Germans this this winter. When Russia decides to cut off their natural gas, as they've done before, to show who's boss, they'll do it for two or three days at a time. Okay, Germany. Um, you're already paying three to four times as much for energy because of your and green agenda. this has agenda. to do with the Nord Stream pipeline? Partially. Partially, okay. But even before that, they were playing these games with Europe. If, if there's a like a UN vote and they want it their way, they'll just cut the gas in the middle of the yeah. winter. Which is part of why the UN is such a joke. Yeah, so, so Germany is already burning wood to stay alive. Uh, they'll be burning coal. They'll be chopping up their furniture this winter. I mean, I don't know what Germans are going to do. I'm really concerned because for them. they've been relying on Russia and Russia is basically like extorting them rather than relying on the United States because we're not reliable when it comes to oil production. Right. That's the whole well, problem. We used to be more reliable. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. Well, I have I have a guess. OK, Germany's a great story because quickly they had a leader named Gerard Schroeder. Schroeder pushed them into like headlong into um, renewables before it was ready for prime time. This is the primitive 2005 to the 2007 era. After he gets them reliant on unreliable renewables and on Russian natural gas, therefore, imports, he leaves Germany and becomes the leader of the Russian oil and gas company, the chairman. Wow. So you get your, your country dependent and now you're the big man in Russia. Why is a German running the Russian oil yeah. and gas operations, right? Why, why is he at the head of their company? Come on. Yeah. Um, so that's how that happened to Germany. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. It does seem like the climate change agenda is a war on the working class, either purposely or coincidentally. I mean, it seems like every policy that these kind of left-wing elites push is a war against the working class, but there was a very specific picture of that. There were these climate change protesters who were blocking traffic, and this guy got out of his car, and he was like, look, I'm on parole, and if I don't, if I don't 
get to work on time, I'm literally going to go to prison. These climate change activists, they didn't get out of the road. And I have no idea what happened to that guy. It's really unfortunate. But I thought that was such a vivid picture of really what the green agenda is in general. It really is a war on the working class. It's harder for working class rural people to get to work if the prices are high or if they can't drive at all. Transportation is more difficult when prices go up in general. Um, and so really, as you said, the green agenda seems to only be serving those at the very top and they do not care about the effects of the people on the bottom. The secret is <clears throat> you can you can pollute as much as you want in the extreme green agenda as long as you can pay for it with carbon offsets. Mm. So it's no pinch Such on them. Such a gimmick. Yeah, it's no pinch on them. Yeah. If you look at the at the percentage of a household income devoted to energy, transportation, gasoline, electricity. The, the less money you make, the more dramatic that percentage you pay in, in your budget. So it, it's like taxes. Even if they're progressive, they always pinch the lowest income people the worst. So, yeah. and, and they, they're the people with the least representation in Washington, I can tell you for sure. And oh, the unions definitely. are not doing it. The no. unions are not going up there and, and pleading the case of the working class. I Which think is those what days they're are supposed to do. Those days are over. Yeah. Whether it's teachers unions or other kinds of unions. Yeah. Um, so this is not high priority for most voters, whether working class or otherwise. I'm sure there is a difference between those with PhDs and those with just, you know, a <clears throat> high school degree. There tends to always be a difference in the priorities and the political agenda of those two groups. But it, this ranks like climate change ranks at the very, very bottom. Most people are worried about the economy. They're worried about gas prices. They're worried about safety, you know, things that actually affect their everyday lives, their ability to live. And so what is this group at the top? What are our bureaucrats going to do um, if there is a lot of pushback about this or if their PR campaign that they have just been pushing relentlessly for years, maybe even decades now, if it doesn't work, like, is there any hope that they're going to say, okay, never mind, whatever, we don't care about this anymore? Or are they just going to keep pushing and pushing? I keep wondering where that breaking point comes. Yeah. Where where people realize this agenda is not possible. Like, I, I can't survive this agenda. I will be broken financially. I will be ruined if I pay for everything they want us to pay for. The, you know, AOC wants a $90 trillion Green New Deal. Yeah. If she could pin it her way, um, we don't have it. So when does it finally break? I feel like this war has really done a lot to put it in focus. Mm. We've really been pinched hard for the first time because you have a major oil producer at war indefinitely. So NATO is all backing up because they're all part of the puzzle. And I think that combined with this money printing and the green agenda is is the perfect storm for people to say i've had enough yeah and it, it's just not possible right like these plans if you really study them carefully none of the none of the green plans like the paris climate accord or the clean um, power plan or any of them work to stop climate change right and it doesn't make our environment cleaner either we have the, some of the cleanest air in the world in america it's amazing actually because of technology it doesn't do anything for that either. So why are we doing this? Right. And we can't afford it. It almost seems like the the Democrats don't fear the electorate. Which is troubling. Yeah. It almost feels like they don't care 
Because, look, I mean, Biden's doubling down. Right. Right this week. He's doubling down. He thinks you haven't been squeezed enough yeah. for the transition. Yeah. So, and as you said, I mean, the New York Times poll said like 1% of, or 3% of Democrats said climate's their most important issue, like 1% of the rest of America, if you yeah. average it out. So clearly he's not looking at polls and putting he's his finger at- into the air and saying, what do they want to hear? Like a Bill Clinton. Yeah. You're too young to remember that, Allie. But I barely yeah. remember it. I was like in, in like ninth grade or something. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but Clinton could be, you know, a Democrat today and a Republican tomorrow. Yeah. And so it's nothing like that. It's it's full speed ahead with the agenda. And um, it seems he's not the only one. Yeah. I think that, that Trudeau is the same. Yes. Macron is the same. Yes, they, they just don't, don't seem care. To care. And they call everyone else totalitarians when really, of course, they are the ones who are the tyrants. Last sponsor for the day, and that is Good Ranchers. So Ronald Reagan famously said that all great change in America starts at the dinner table. And if that is true, which I believe that it also is, you want to make sure that what is on the dinner table is really good, that you're actually enjoying those meals that food that you are having such formative conversation around. And that is why Good Ranchers exists. It's 100% American meat. So you're helping revitalize the uh, farming and uh, ranching industry in the United States when you buy all your meat from Good Ranchers. That's where we get all our meat from. So you're talking about craft beef, you're talking about better than organic chicken, pre-marinated, non-pre-marinated, even seafood. It all shows up individually wrapped, vacuum sealed on dry ice on your front porch. stick it all in the freezer, and then you've got at least one part of your meal planned out the entire week. So it makes your life so much easier. And by bringing your family to the dinner table, having those good conversations, you really can make consequential change. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. Use my code Allie to get $30 off your order plus free express shipping. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Promo code Allie. Goodranchers.com slash Allie. It does seem like there was a breaking point in Sri Lanka that kind of had something to do with all of this and in the Netherlands as well with the trucking protest. And I know that's not necessarily having to do with fuel, but it does have to do with the kind of climate change agenda and the people have just had enough. And the government of the Netherlands, Netherlands, they were like, we don't care. We're going to shoot you until you get off the roads. Yeah. And we're going to take your property. Really troubling. And like as if this were Venezuela confiscating your assets and... They're even going to ban them. There's there's talk of banning the farmers from ever farming again. To make it crystal clear, this this era is over. Yeah. This era of agriculture is over because it's too it's too energy intensive and, and climate unfriendly. So they don't have the fertilizer uh, giving them that they need to make their crop. And and amazingly, this country, the Netherlands, is half the size of Indiana. Right. But it's the second biggest food producer overall in the yeah. world. Yeah. I mean, like that blows my mind for its exports. Uh, I, I, next to the U.S., I, I could not believe how productive they are. It's because yeah. they're so innovative. Like, they have to be. They're small. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to just pretend to, to be so tyrannical. Right. This it's a Western it's, country. I mean, it's really hard not to jump to conclusions that, okay, it, it would seem like the purpose is famine. The purpose is depopulation. Right. The purpose is a smaller population that they can then control. And I know I'm kind of getting a little bit off the reservation here, but it's hard to imagine that there are innocent and humanitarian reasons to cut off the food supply right. and to see someone's 
assets that is providing food for the country and the world. It's really hard for me to come up with an innocent reason for that. Right. I mean, you know, look at the perfect storm. Again, war against two major wheat producers. I mean, wheat is a staple. It's kind of like one of the foundational um, items that humans eat to stay alive worldwide. Um, And they export all over the place, all over the world. And then all of these food plant um, disasters that happen right. in the U.S. mysteriously. Mysterious fires. Do you think fires. it's mysterious? I mean, what do you, th- I mean, I think the most logical and least conspiratorial idea is that the FDA completely has failed. And so that was part of it. But I mean, there are some other theories as well. Well, like there were two instances of planes hitting the property of food plants. And two, journalists aren't interested in it at all. They're not no. curious at all. I post something about this, I'm attacked. As a conspiracy theorist, I'm like, look, I didn't say what caused it. I Just simply pointed this out happened. there were two what looked a whole lot like kamikaze attacks. Okay, like 9-11 like attacks hitting one hit a plant and one hit the they're like hey, it just hit the parking lot jackie it just hit the parking lot I'm like, oh pardon me um well yeah, yeah maybe he okay. wasn't that great of yeah. a pilot like i don't i don't know all the circumstances there i simply pointed out that two planes hit the property all these fires all these explosions then there were like millions of um uh, turkeys and chickens put down for flu then you saw the thousands of cattle that died of heat in um kansas as if that was the first time heat had ever hit kansas um no baby food we're being warned about dog food shortages, so you want to have dog food to eat. Um, so it's like a, it's like a controlled demolition. I've never seen so many events come together at once. At once, and then and then I mean, you've got the open border, you've got civil unrest, you've got crime in the street. I mean, there's yeah. so many factors, and it feels like for a lot of people, even if they're in safe communities, that the walls are kind of closing in and that our government really does not care. Instead, they are more concerned with making sure that men can go into women's bathrooms. I'm 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 very concerned. Like my overarching feeling as I as we have this conversation combined with the whole abortion fanaticism, yeah, uh, po- which is a population control measure, um is that there I know for sure that there's a group of the elites, David Rockefeller being like one of the most outspoken. Yeah. Who thinks there are too many of us on the planet? Oh, and yeah. That's, that's the real problem here. Well, that's what the World Economic Forum talks about every year at Davos. They talk yeah. about how there are too many people, even Jane Goodall, which is who is not like some rich mogul, but obviously she's an activist. They believe in this like Malthusian myth where Elon Musk, I mean, with all of his flaws, he's one of the only people I saw that he posted this thread or someone posted like a population density. And actually, if all of us wanted to live as densely as people did in Manhattan, we could fit in like half of New Zealand. I'm sure of it. So yeah. <laughs> the world is like almost empty of humans if you yeah. look at it that way we can actually fit on earth many 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 more millions of people if we wanted to we have the resources for it we have technology for it it all goes back to how you see human beings right. as a credit or a debit as an asset or as a liability the people at the top see human beings as a liability as people that they if there's too many they can't control them and if you're looking for centralized power the more people there are the more autonomous people are the harder it is for them to obtain control there's a whole theological conversation you could have about how those people view who is in charge where morality comes from and what human beings are worth Christians believe we're made in the image of God, that we have souls, that we're valuable, that we should be autonomous in that way. And they believe that we're basically all balls of matter that don't matter. It is very hard for you and me to put on the lens of a person who sees 
humankind as an accident in the history of the universe. Exactly. Yeah, just a massive cells, after all, is what they call them in the womb. And that's really, I mean, what are we right now? Yeah. What are we right now? Right. We're massive cells. And so imagine how differently they see stories about crime, right? You and I see a horrible story about a crime. And we're probably thinking that human being is broken. I'll bet they didn't have parents who loved them. I'll bet they don't have a support system. I bet they weren't taught and poured into with faith, love, hope. Mm -hmm. All of that, you can see what's missing, what's broken. That is a human being there. And um, no matter how bad they are, they can't fall lower than any of us can fall. When you have these these beliefs that we hold, to us that they're still a human being, God made them and God loves them, no matter how much it we don't enjoy them right this second. (laughs) And that has to be addressed. We we need to love people from the you know, from this stage, this the young stage up, there's a problem societally with the breakdown of the family. Imagine how they see it. That's not what they're seeing. Yeah. They're saying, look at all these, you know, riots in Sri Lanka, crimes in LA, breaking into my Porsche. You know what? They're just clumps of cells. Yeah. We need less. Of, I know what we'll do with these people. Yeah. We don't need them anymore. Yeah. We don't need them anymore. So the least we can do is not feed them so they don't reproduce, is rip their children from their wombs. Yeah. Is um, And allow to, the crime to flourish, too. You allow the crime to flourish. You open the border. It creates chaos. It creates crime. It creates unrest. And it creates murder. And it creates violence. So that takes care of that problem. <laughs> that also is a form of depopulation. The allowance and the endorsement of murder and these soft on crime policies, I, I mean, it does all, they at least have these things in common. At most, it is purposeful and yeah. it is all pushing towards the same goal. So, Well, the chaos means that we need someone, some strong man to come in and, and take control and restore order. And I feel like it's, it's about that, too. It's about making That's everyday true. people feel vulnerable. Yeah. So they want to and welcome in. tyranny. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. to, so they can feel safe again. Just basic safety. Um, and so it, it can also be nefarious in that sense. But what I'm certain of is that uh, less food means less people. Yeah. And and there are just too many things happening in too many different places and too many people in charge who higher price of fuel, less food, less people. It is connected. I, I say to everyone, be prepared to be self reliant. Yeah. You know, stock stockpile food, non perishables, emergency food, MREs. Yeah. Your fishing gear, your hunting gear. Yeah. Grow vegetables. Grow yeah. fruit trees. Do you know um, your neighbors? Seeds. Are you a part of a church? Are you yeah. part of a community? Yeah. Are you part of any kind of group of people who can rely on each other? That is also something that I, they have tried to tear apart, definitely during COVID. But for many years before that, people were more isolated than ever before. Right. Well, we have to do everything that we can to push back against that through self-reliance, but also reliance on one another. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's part of all this. Thank you so much, Jackie. As always, this was wonderful insight. I really appreciate it. No, so happy to be with you and anytime. Thank you.